I do believe you will find this is more than true. comedians. The melancholic comedian considered the puzzle of existence. The listener doesn't know the ins and outs. He considered the audience melancholic, dour, hard to please. Their lack of humor saddened him and affected his presence, a poor reflection upon them. He sought out the advice of his compatriots. His bombardier insisted the answer was to hurl more bombs from unexpected directions. The unpredictability measured to alter the viewpoint of the audience. In this, she was adamant. It was the only way. Confrontational mendacity. Factionalize the audience. Make them fight themselves before you. Because the listeners don't know what's good for them. She'd written a book on the subject, of interest to those who rebel, naturally it bombed in the marketplace. She claimed it had been diffused by being watered down by said marketplace, because a product of a marketplace can never overturn the market in which it itself is a product which arose from those market forces. But people don't usually find talk like that funny. That's the problem, said the bombardier. The body counts. The upbeat comedian commented that the way was to be as middling as possible, to pander to the most genteel sensibilities, feed the crowd hamburger to warm their hearts, to make the audience feel comfortable and part of the majority, to fit in together, because the average listener doesn't know what they are missing. This is why they are so easily satisfied the other comedians called him a dirty hack, which of course he was. But those people who called him that were themselves guilty of being controversial. It's a strange hill to take a stand on because controversies shift underneath you. And you might slip and fall. And people would laugh. <laughs> in the good old summertime, in the good old I believe it was Milton Berle who first said the average person will laugh when someone dressed up as a bad person slips on a banana peel and falls on their ass. But to make a comedian laugh, an actual bad person has to slip on a banana peel and break their ass. Also, it's funnier if the tragedy comes in threes. Because the average listener doesn't know, unless you hit them on the head with it repeatedly, the importance of fruit to a healthy diet. It's bananas, 
and no one can talk about diet anymore. That's going too far. People won't stand for it. Either way, there is one vegan corpse on Mount Everest, and you hear no end of it. Nobody ever talks about the carnivorous diets of all the other corpses which litter the mountain. Man, those carnivores are humble, quiet folk, unassuming and tolerant. I hear you can still see the half-eaten cheeseburger on the guy who serves as the marking post on the east slope. Hamburger Ned, they call him. As climbers often say to each other, if you run into old Hamburger Ned, you've gone too far. Can't you count? Don't you listen? Where were you at the Last Supper? I hear they reused all the garnish. Who paid? Three comedians, each blindfolded, are presented with an elephant. When each comedian has a turn to speak and address the situation, they each must in turn address the elephant in the room. Remember, the elephants are not cheap, but comedians are. I am sorry for the animal cruelty implicit within this setup. The first comedian, confronted with the leg of the elephant, tried to pull his own shtick and that was very revealing. He was trampled and the crowd seemed to enjoy that. The second comedian, confronted with the animal's trunk, didn't seem to know whether he was coming or going. He'd been a long time in this business, you would think he would understand the importance of timing. The third comedian, confronted with the ass, insisted upon making everything about himself. And it wasn't the right crowd for that. And if he hadn't been blindfolded, he would have been able to see that. Anyway, the moral of the story is bread is less expensive than circuses, but the people's demand to be entertained can be satiated by mere spectacle, which adds up to nothing. But I am speaking Arabic here. Good morning, madam. Oh, I'm so glad you've come. You see, it's out of order. Yes, yes, of course. Funny way to talk about a sick baby. Now, I don't want to spend much money on it. You don't? It really isn't worth it. What's that? But then it's better than none at all. Yes, why, why of course it is. This woman certainly is crazy. Uh, did you bring your tools with you? I, I brought my instruments, madam. Uh, well, uh, what will it cost to fix it? Well, uh, to tell the truth, I, I couldn't say offhand. Why don't you have a regular price for fixing them? Oh, no. That depends upon the condition of the little deer. Oh, don't call it a little deer. I hate it. Good heavens, woman. How can you say that? It's been nothing but a bother ever since I've had it. My goodness. It was no good when I got it. What an unnatural mother. I didn't want it in the first place. You didn't want it? No. Sometimes I feel like throwing it out. Horrible. It squeaks so. Why, that frequently happens, madam. And the ivories are turning yellow. She wants a dentist, not a doctor. The outside is all right, but the insides are out of order. That's what I suppose. Well, do what you can with it, only get it into shape as quickly as possible. This woman certainly is insane. Why, just listen to this. Good heavens, she's going to play the piano. Mystery dinner, a hapgood joint. Of course we do math after dinner said the fancy gentleman. I would expect nothing less from a cultured family, said Hapgood. After dinner math. The old man always called it that. Said it cleared the mind. He was an old man, my old man. Sixty-seven when I was born. Of course, said the fancy gentleman. How many courses, asked Hapgood, in this dinner? One hundred thirty-four, said the fancy man. A great number, of course, said Hapgood. And when did your dinner guest die? In the middle of the 67th course, right in the middle, 
of both the allotted time and the state of the dish, which was half-eaten at the time. Half, you say, said Hapgood. I do say, said the fancy man. I assume I shall have to say it again and again. Invariably, said Hapgood. Invariably. Of course, in these matters you are looking for variability, the fancy gentleman said. Exactly, said Hapgood. I look for variability in all matters, whenever I can find it. Well, there is none here, said the fancy man. In the middle of the 67th course of the 134-course dinner, my guest dropped dead into the middle of a half-eaten dish. Messy social situation, said Hapgood. Inarguably, said the fancy man. Inarguably. You might say the aftermath of the after-dinner party occurred before the after-dinner math could have been factored in, said Hapgood. Are you... Are you having fun here tonight, Detective Hapgood? said the fancy man, his voice crackling with disgust. Yes, said Hapgood, who was just happy everything was out on the table now. It made discovery easier. But it helped that he looked at the matter as if he were not involved, which is a mistake that can be capitalized upon without correction. I thought you were crazy. <laughs> Speaking about correction... Why don't you come on down to davidraffin.com, where we have a whole line of sweatshirts, tea cozies, dirty playing cards, and bun warmers. You could sit in the hand that needs the dough that warms the bun. That's a premier package over at Patreon. Monthly donation is autopatronic, and that means you fly the flag for $5 a month. You could be a little lighter, my friend. Did I mention that advanced practitioners can fly? I would never steer you wrong. That's not what it's about. Take two. <laughs>